This is Josh with the City and the Sound Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Holt. Well, guys, it's been a minute since I've done the podcast. I've just been a bit busy. I recently bought a house with my fiance. I have released a new song called Without You, which is out now, and it's actually mentioned in this episode. And additionally, I'm working on a new song and a new video actually coming up soon. So, before we get on the semantics of that, my guest today is Mr. Black Plastique. We talk about his music, his exquisite taste, and his project Tora Bravo is working on with Mel Crosby. So, before we get started with today's episode, what I want you to do is open your ears, expand your mind, and listen to this. Yeah, I'm an alchemist. I spit on wax and make platinum. Behold the phantom. Cigar, Indian, disco, four finger ring. Brilliant light dances off the gold fangs. A predator thing. Amazing. Stick to the basics. Three chains, two different time zones on Rolexes and six bracelets. I saw Dilla turn a donut into a halo. Niggas act like masters when the chief give them the say so from the nation. What they been chasing might have you on the pavement with your killer on vacation while his chief is making statements. Hold it's up. a murder in the jury store. 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 All right, so I'm here today with uh, Black Plastique. How's it going, man? Oh man, it's doing. Well. I'm, I'm. It's going well. I'm doing great. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, it's Friday. Like, it's, I'm. I'm exhausted. <laughs> oh man, I feel you. What's your What's your like? Uh, when you're not the leading podcast host in the city of Birmingham, what are you up to? Uh, I work for. I work at home for a job. You know, so a lot of my life currently has been at this desk just so, so podcasts and making music all this stuff just tends to happen right here so a lot a lot of times behind this desk i feel you i'm also uh a desk worker from home type so it can be kind of draining you gotta make sure you gotta get up and go outside sometime yeah you gotta take a walk you know yeah for sure so i guess the first question i had man was what is what was some of the music that you grew up kind of listening to in your kind of formative years. Okay. So, um, when I was a kid, my parents, they weren't exactly like, um, split in terms of their taste, but mm -hmm. my dad had clear taste and my mom had clear taste. Uh, my dad's taste was jazz music. He was a big jazz fan. He loved, um, West Montgomery. He loved, uh, I want to say he was a Cannonball Adderley fan. I know he's a Thelonious Monk fan. So, you know, the jazz classics, the heavy hitters. My dad was a big fan. Um, my mom, she was more into R&B. So, like, one of my favorite albums of all time is um, Rapture by Anita Baker. Oh, dude, I, I got that on vinyl recently. Such a good album. Oh, man, bro. I got that. Um, that was one of my favorite thrift store finds ever. I got that on vinyl from a thrift store. I got the CD, like I was listening to it on Spotify, like any way that you can listen to that album. I might have to, to get it. an eight track. <laughs> but yeah, bro. Uh, so the jazz and the R&B are like 
specifically Quiet Storm R&B, you know, like mm-hmm. Anita Baker, Sade, um, some Keith Sweat, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. A lot of like, yeah, jazz and R&B. That was like what was mostly playing in the household. But then, you know, I was hanging out with my cousins and my brother who aren't listening to jazz and R&B, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had a cousin who's 10 years older than me and my other cousin, and my brother, two years older than me, we were always together. And so it was like a thing of um, the ten, the one who's 10 years older than me is always deciding what we're doing. Right. Because like whose opinion matters more a 16 year olds or six year olds. But yeah, like I remember we would listen to the most ignorant shit and I was so mad all the time because I was like, you know, I was trying to be a little, elitist intellectual six-year-old yeah. like you should listen to some most deaf guys or some talib kwali <laughs> my cousin was listening to that stuff but every time we were hanging out it was like nah we're gonna listen to some three six so <laughs> we listened to a ton of three six mafia uh coops the nigga the devil's playground that's my shit um the dj paul underground series uh mystic styles now everybody's on the mystic styles way but we was listening to Mystic Styles back in the day. Of course, you got Project Pat, Getty yeah. Green, laying the Smackdown. Um, and then once I got older and I went to high school, I just kind of got bored with rap. Like I was just tired of it. And again, me being an elitist child, I was like, well, I'm, I'm only going to listen to real music. And the, <laughs> the, way that it, the way that it happened was I was um, playing football poorly my mm-hmm. freshman year of high school. And my friend david let me borrow his ipod and it was on shuffle and so it's a uh, a young lebanese kid so he didn't really have too much rap on there uh-huh. but the song that got me into music it was like nirvana smells like teen spirit yeah that was the first song i heard where i distinctly remember like just playing it over and over and over and over again, just to like dissect it because I just could not figure out what I was hearing. And after that, I just, that was like a life changing moment for me. Um, and so I just started getting really into music. I just felt like I was struck by a lightning bolt, you know, gave me yeah. purpose. And so in high school, I listened to a lot of new metal, which like kind of combined some elements of rap with the metal mm-hmm. elements that I was getting into like Sepultura, Limp Bizkit, uh, not really that much Linkin Park, but I did like Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park when I was younger, you know, when that era was popping. Yeah. And um, I listened to a lot of grunge music, a lot of new metal music, and a lot of, I was also listening to like some oldies, some jazz, some R&B, and then like, you know, it kind of emerged out of, I emerged out of that going into college with like a solidified musical taste that was pretty eclectic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I would, I would say that like, it all comes together to where my two favorite artists for a very long time. And still to this day are Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and Kanye West. Those are like my two biggest musical influences. And that's like the story of how I got there. <laughs> Dope. That's dope. I, I guess, and I can see kind of what Kanye and like Trent, you know, they're very, they very much have a very defined sound and just kind of make this, you know, kind of something like My Beautiful Darts was a fantasy and something like, you know, like the downward spiral, these like make these like 
huge. It, it they, they just sound like they don't sound like anything else, you know. Right. Yeah. That's exactly it. They are so distinctive. Like you know when you're listening to a Nine Inch Nails song, even if it's like, like one of the ambient songs from like mm-hmm. the Ghost series or um, from the Fragile, which I've been listening to a lot of the Fragile recently. Um, and right, like nobody does what Kanye does. Yeah. Like so when Kanye dropped Yeezus, I was in heaven. <laughs> like, this is what i believe it has the ambient stuff it's got like the, the industrial rock sound is kind of in there exactly people were like i don't really know about this Jesus album i was like this is the perfect album what the fuck are you talking about like, <laughs> an industrial kanye album what how what what could get better than that um but yeah uh oh trent reznor also produced a rap album for saul williams you know saul williams the name sounds so familiar like it sounds it rings a bell, but I can't I can't like put it to like a face of the name of the name. Saul Williams is a um, slam poet who became a musician slash artist slash uh, rapper, mm-hmm. right? And he has an album called Amethyst Rockstar that's really good. Um, he is like cool with a lot of like New York artists, like he knows Dave Chappelle, he knows most Steph, but he's like a little lesser known than him. Um, but he has an album called The Inevitable Rise and Liberation of Niggy Tardust. And it's a rap album entirely produced by But yeah. <laughs> that's such that's such that's such an interesting like if I was like, yeah, who's producing your album? Like Trent Reznor would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, what? Seriously? We get like head like a hole on, on this album, my dude. It's like really like what's there's no boom bap beats on this, just like straight up industrial rock music. <laughs> well, you know what's crazy is uh Trent Reznor and hip hop, they have like a long cross-pollination. Yeah. Like Dr. Dre mixed a lot of the songs on the fragile. Um that's, that's and I think yeah, and like that's one of the things that was so cool about the 90s, especially is like the cross-pollination between who was massive in rock and who was massive in hip-hop at the time. Yeah. Like, you know, you got the Judgment Night soundtrack where you got, um, you got, like, Helmet making songs with uh, House of Pain. Um, you got Del the Funk and Homo Sapien working with Dinosaur Jr. on that. You got uh, Judgment Night with Onyx and Biohazard. And so, like, because there was so much more variety in rock and rap at that time, uh, whoever was big was working together. Like, I, I say all that to lead up to the point of uh, there's a Puff Daddy remix of Adore by the Smashing Pumpkins. Bro, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. Just the concept. I, I was already good when, like, when uh, when Puff mixed, like, Cashmere for Come With Me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear him do any more of this uh, bad boy trying to do rock music. Like, I think I'm good. Oh, uh, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Puff He's like, I'm just gonna no loop this guitar eyes. riff. <laughs> yes, bro. Puff could do no wrong in my eyes. Not <laughs> He's like a real life superhero. Um, he did. Yeah, I close my eyes and I see. That's when he's like floating down, like uh-huh. he jumped out of the building and exploding. And he's singing. Oh yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was like I was like it's like you know what I, I get why Suge was like all in the video. <laughs> like, I get. It. <laughs> I understand the statement now because that dude was all the videos. Oh my gosh, bro! He had to be in the video. It was like <laughs> he was—he was the first guy who was like, "No, nah, y'all gonna see me." 
He's like, no, I know I'm I can't not. rap really, but like you, I'm gonna be in the video. It's like it doesn't matter if he writes rhymes, he writes checks. He's like, exactly, I write the checks. That's what he said. And uh, we ain't going nowhere. No matter if I write rhymes, I write checks. It's like hell yeah, tell him. So what would you say is like you know, discovering music, what would you say is kind of like your earliest musical beginnings and like formative like making music saying like, you know, I can do this, like this kind of thing is for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh my dad, I kind of, one of my biggest regrets in life, um, my dad really tried to get me and my brother interested in piano when we mm-hmm. were kids. And I always thought it was super boring because like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like the songs that he was trying to get us to play or just like not really having any idea of like what I was doing, but it was just like, eh, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so now, like, I really wish I knew how to play piano because I'm, you know, making beats like 24-7, basically. Um, well, hey, I don't want to exaggerate. I'm making beats a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, like, when I, after I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, I was like, man, I got to learn how to play guitar because I need to be, like, you know, making music. And yeah. this is the music that I like. And I was such a, I was such a, I was such an imbecile. I was such a young imbecile. I started playing guitar instead of learning piano, which was what I should have been doing. <laughs> That's like everybody. They always are like, oh, learn guitar. And it's like, yeah, guitar is cool, but there's a certain limit of the stuff you can learn on it. Where piano, if you learn it, you learn all music theory. You know. You are exactly correct. And that's one of the things. Like, I work a lot with um, Richard Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, Lanil, who you've had on the show, previous yeah, guest, Rich. Mm-hmm. Right, and he has a musical background in singing, you know, like that was his first thing that he learned. And you can always kind of sort of see, you can see how the way that people learn about music theory informs their creative decisions when it comes to making music. Right. Mm -hmm. Like as a guitarist, all of my ideas are riff based. Yeah. Like when I'm playing a synth, synth like a riff, I'm playing like, you know, a, um, a piano part. Like I have a riff in mind. And then I have to go back and like break down the chords behind that to like create a create a full song. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, like musical experience. When I was fourteen, I was like teenager, and then I learned I had to learn how to play guitar, and I I like knew I couldn't convince my mom to buy me a guitar because that's such a like cliche ass like kid <laughs> please buy me a guitar they... <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I was like I, I just know i can't but my cousin happened to have uh he had a guitar because he's learned guitar and he just stick with it yeah um and so i got my first guitar from my cousin it was a squire strat squire affinity series strat um, the classic the classic squire strat uh, and it came with that frontman 25 watt amp, you know, the classic yeah. frontman mm-hmm. 25 watt amp. Uh, and that was my first guitar. And I took, I, I did some books, some like self instructional books, because this was like 2007, like before YouTube was really what it is today. Uh-huh. And so I had to be self taught for a lot of my shit. Um, but later on, I was trying to form a band in my high school and everybody plays guitar in high school but no one was playing bass. It was me and one other guy, John Bella, uh, good guy, local guy, still, still, he's in metal bands. Um, and, uh, but we were the only two bassists in the school 
and I learned bass out of necessity because like I can't just have a band where it's all guitarists and no basses. Yeah. Uh, so I did take some lessons in bass um, and that, that informed a lot of my guitar playing as well. Bass is still my favorite instrument to this day. Um, and so a couple of years after that, like I had a very soft reputation for a guy who knows how to make music uh, at my high school. And some this guy I knew was saying that he was in a rap group. And I was like, well, do you have any beats? And he was like, no, we don't have any beats. And they were joking. Like, but I was just like, well, you need beats if you're going to be in a rap group. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll produce these beats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so uh, I illegally downloaded Propellerhead Reason. <laughs> and I, like, for about two days, I was looking at it. And I was just like, I literally have no clue what the hell is going on. So I'm just not going to do this. Um, and then I remember Googling like production software and uh, I got into FL Studio, mm-hmm. FL Studio. So I legally downloaded FL Studio. Uh, I think I started on seven, FL Studio seven. Um, and I still to this day, like that was my first experience. I made beats. I was really bad at it. But after a while, I got my, my stuff together. Um, and one of the things that was cool about it was like, you know, because there was no real, there was what, well, let me not say cool. One of the things that was terrible about it was, as I mentioned before, YouTube wasn't really what it is today. Yeah. So you couldn't really look up a production tutorial that like broke things down step by step. Cause now everybody wants to make beats and everybody wants to be a rapper and it's cool. But like, you know, back then it was just like, you could go a long time without knowing what a VST was. Mm-hmm. Just like making music with like all of the sounds that were already packed into FL Studio, thinking like, well, these are all the sounds I got. This is like, what this <laughs> is. It. Yeah, this, this is the pack. <laughs> right. This is it. <laughs> so, um, so from that moment when I was about sixteen, I've been producing beats for like twelve years now, and I've gotten a lot better. I know what a VST is now, um, which is good. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was like that was like the genesis of it. Just like the the guitar had me really driven. I was mm-hmm. really driven into like learning how to play. Uh, but like making kind of beat, I went to college and I was just like, you know, just be my laptop. And I was just like, well, shit, like might as well make some beats. And I just really started to focus on it on my craft. And I met producers, other producers who like were able to give me some tips, which is super invaluable. I feel when you're first starting out in music. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, because so much of doing, especially like doing do, do it yourself stuff, you, like, you know, stuff sounds good because you're like, this sounds good to me. But then you have to also bounce it for other people when they're like, I would change this. You know, I like maybe like tighten up the snare, you know, make the kick like louder, you know, so you kind of learn those tips from those people and helps you become like even like a better producer. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I've always really enjoyed is working with um, other producers, like just, you know, having someone else there to like instantly get feedback and bounce ideas off of mm-hmm. and like co-produce with like Richard and I have been co-producing stuff and he started making beats um, earlier last year, I want to say, and he's getting to a really good place. So We've been working together on some beats and it's been really fruitful. Um, and yeah, that's something I really enjoy as an artist. Dope. I guess to kind of add on to that, um, who would you say, I guess, are like your your top producers, I guess, would you 
still kind of keep to like Kanye and Trent Reznor or is like kind of other people who you think kind of make music you're kind of inspire, inspired by? Hello? Hello? <laughs> I think it's not. <laughs> okay. Well, I, uh, my, my phone was reconnected to the house Wi-Fi. So like, my bad. No, you're good. Uh, I guess the question uh, I had. Where did, you, where did I lose you? Uh, yeah, I was just asking the question, so it's all good. Uh, so I guess the question to add on to, you know, beats and everything like that, who would you say are kind of like the top producers who are the people you kind of aspire to, like, you know, when making beats, you know? Um, okay. Would you, would you still say it's like Kanye and Trent Reznor kind of as like, as the people you kind of really inspire the most or the other beat makers or producers who you really kind of model your stuff afterwards? Uh, I'm sort of, those are always going to be my two like favorites. Yeah. Those are always going to be my two favorites. Um, but like the thing is like they've sort of moved on, right? Like Trent Reznor does a lot more. Um, his stuff's not this like nihilistic industrial synth music anymore. Like he's doing yeah. a lot more indie stuff and with Bad Witch, uh, he did a, a whole jazz album that was super sick. Um, not the actual events is another project he just dropped that was super sick. Well, just dropped. He dropped like five years ago. But anyway, and Kanye, he he did Jesus is King, which was super sick. But <laughs> like not doing what he was doing like ten years ago. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in a in a environment where, especially in hip hop, where you have to remain current or you're gonna get taken away by the current, um, it was like a thing of I had to sort of find producers that would like inform my style in a more modern way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite producers is honorable C note, um, legendary Atlanta producer, but not really super well-known by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, the best thing he ever did. And he's had, he's had a lot of tracks, but to me, the best thing he ever did was um, Ecstasy Pill from World War Three Lean by Gucci Mane. Mm. Are you familiar with the World, World War series from Gucci <sighs> Mane? I know like a few Gucci stuff, but I feel like so much of trap music, I feel like I'm like illiterate at. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Uh, I was like, because, you know, like I mentioned, I wasn't listening to rap at all mm. in high school. And so it took a lot. It took me like actively focusing on getting back into rap to like do better with like what I was trying to do, which was making beats in college. Um, And so honorable C note, he was like, he made ecstasy pill, which was a, I'm trying to remember if it was the first young thug song that we ever heard, but if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first. Mm -hmm. This was back when young thug was just called thug. Yeah. No, there's no young. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This is back when he was just called Thug. And I remember the first time I heard of him, I was like, this nigga's name is just Thug. Like, there's like, <laughs> there's like no nuance to that. He's like, a fucking, He's like, you know what it is. I'm a thug. All right, let's, let's, let's get it together here. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like a fucking Final Fight character. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you had to fight Thug. <laughs> right, exactly. It's fucking Thug. But he did Ecstasy Pill. So the World War III series, uh, Gucci dropped three mixtapes. It was either on the same day or they were spread out, but it was a whole mixtape with a different producer that he worked with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lean was Honorable C-Note. And it's got hit after hit after hit after hit. Um, 
I want to say Mike Will did one and Zaytoven did, did another one. But Honorable Cino, I feel like, doesn't get enough love. Uh, if I had to name a producer that is, like, my favorite um, trap producer, it would probably be Pierre Bourne, mm-hmm. um, who did Magnolia by Playboy mm-hmm. Cardi. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he did um, uh, Gummo by 6 9 <laughs> He said, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. like not one of his shining, his shining moments. <laughs> well, that's why that's what's so funny is if you listen to that beat or if you listen to that song, um, which I wouldn't recommend. I don't like giving <laughs> pedophiles money. But um, if you listen to that song, there's like a muted portion of it at the beginning. And that's because. Six nine stole that beat from Trippy Red. Uh and Pierre Bourne found out and he was like, take my producer tag off of it. Yeah. So they don't um, know who, who made this. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but he's did a lot of great work with um, Playboy Cardi, uh, Lil Uzi. Um, he did uh, the famous Pissy Pamper with Young Nudie and Playboy Cardi. He's trying to be quick. <laughs> you know like a dead-on impression (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love play bacardi he's like for someone who is such a lyrical like i've been i've been working on getting getting more in the vibes you know because i've always enjoyed artists like it took me a while to come around to young thug and like feature and cardi and that wave Mm -hmm. but like once I got into that wave, I was like, man, this stuff is actually very cool stuff you yeah. can put on. But um, yeah. And but like to go further back, when I was in high school, there was a couple rap albums I did listen to a lot. One of them was Enter the 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and I think that RZA is like one of the greatest producers that doesn't get enough credit. Like people give him credit. But he literally created the East Coast sound. sound. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, before him, it was just, you know, go to the store. See what they got. <laughs> got a lot of stuff there. You know? It's the weekend. It's the cold crush. Cold crush. Um, yeah. Fucking cold crush. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, a lot of that stuff is cool. Like, there's a, <laughs> you know, that song, uh, Rapper's Delight by yeah. Sugar Hill. Mm-hmm. It's just Sheik's, yeah, Good Times. Right, Sheik's Good Times, produced by Sylvia Robinson. And this was back when samplers were like $15,000 in 1976 month. Yeah. So they didn't sample that song. They was it's like, you, of, y'all band is playing. <laughs> right. It's a bunch of teenagers. They got like $50 to play that song for 16 minutes straight. Yeah. And they couldn't make any mistakes. So they would have to start <laughs> all the way over. <laughs> And but that's what New York was. It was like disco, right? Mm-hmm. Like hip hop was basically like the, the evolution of disco at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and Rizzo was the first one to, well, he wasn't the first one to bring like um the like sample culture into it, and especially not dissonant samples. Like I would say the, the bomb squad with public enemy did a lot of that, but just the way the like dustiness, the dustiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the dissonance and the like heavy ass, like super degraded drums 
uh, that the RZA like pioneered, they really like set the scene for what became New York hip hop or what we what we think of as New York hip hop throughout the 90s. And you also have like Havoc there from Mob Deep, Make the Ship One, Spark 2B, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, Pete Rock, I've been listening to a lot more Pete Rock. Uh, he made One Love from, no, that was Q-Tip. Yeah, he made a, he made Whose World Is This off Filmatic. Yeah, yeah, the world yeah. is yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Pete Rock, a lot of Q-Tip, because that wave's kind of coming back around, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the lo-fi shit is just, like, people making fake-ass Q-Tip and Pete Yeah, Rock it's, like, it's like people making fake-ass, like, Pete Rock and J. Dilla. <laughs> like right, MF, exactly. MF Doom, Special Herbs-type beats. You're right. Like, I had this when I was, like, a kid. I don't, I don't need to hear this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you got, uh, what, Nujabez? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some the thing for me is I don't have a problem with lo-fi. Yeah, I have a problem with lazy lo-fi hip hop. Right? Mm-hmm. You put your sample into your your DAW or your DAW, and then you put RC twenty on it and make it warbly, and then you put like a quiet ass drum beat underneath it, and then you're like, okay, this song is done. Yeah, like, this is a lo-fi mm-hmm. hip-hop song. There you go. Put put that on there. Yeah, exactly. Have their girl study like, to it, <laughs> right? Put put like a footage from an anime, mm-hmm. like looping anime footage on it. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> Game over. But yeah, I um, I love I love the lo-fi hip-hop stuff. It's just I love going back to like hear the artistic you know, honey that's been dripping down on the walls of the cave. Um, and that's why I really enjoy like Pete Rock, Q-Tip, all those guys, because they they just, the RZA, like all those New York producers, they knew what they were doing. And you can, you can learn a lot from them. Like um, Pete Rock made a lot of his beats on the SP-1200, legendary mm-hmm. uh, sampler which had like, it, it recorded a uh, sound in 12 bit. Um, I think like, no, it was like, it was like 12 kilohertz, like eight bit or 12 bit or something like that, which, you know, CD quality is like 48 kilohertz <laughs> and like 24 bit or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so all of that like contributes the amount of like loss all the samples contributes to their like warmth mm-hmm. and like just the way that they sound. And so like you can process your samples like that in your DAW and approximate a similar sound. You won't get the same sound because, you know, it's not running through all of the hardware, but something a little interesting, a little tricky trick, a little tricky trick. I would say one thing about really like about your music is that it's so spatially diverse and kind of listen off those artists you were talking about, like, just because like some of the projects I've listened from you from stuff for, like it's the sporting life or like Tora Bravo or like automatic jazz, like none of that, none of that stuff sounds alike. And the no. question I had is, do you, tr- do you try to consciously not try to pigeon your pigeonhole yourself to one sound or would you kind of just say it's, it's just a kind of unconscious thing where you're kind of just going with the flow when making the music. And if it sounds, if it winds up in that sound, it just kind of winds up in that sphere. It's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of both. Like, I would be very unhappy if I kept trying to make the same kind of music over and over. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And so 
because I love music so much, I'm always like trying to find new music and like be inspired by new stuff. Like right now I'm on this British jazz wave with like Alpha Mist and like Yusuf Diaz and like Rocco Palladino. And so I've been making some like British jazz shit. Um, but like, you know, before that, I was listening to a lot of jungle and drum and bass. I'm always listening to jungle and drum and bass, but <laughs> that's my shit right there. Like Goldie, uh, Fotech, Four Hero. Um, but that goes back to like, that music is all, well, it can be LTJ, LTJ Bookham. That music can all be very like jazzy, right? Yeah. Mm. And so that feeds that jazz like corner of my brain that was nurtured when I was a little, little baby. Um, and then, you know, the, the Europe, the UK, especially is producing a lot of great singers right now. You got Ego LMA, who's different from LMA from Buddha. Uh, Rich told me about Ego LMA. She's sick. Um, you got all kinds of, was it, uh, Georgia Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smith. Album. She's sick. Uh, and so I'm always listening, trying to find new music and like new stuff to be inspired by. And so like, I feel like I got to bring people along with me on that journey. Like mm-hmm. with, um, with Wasteland, that was the only album that I had like a long ass prep time on. Cause that was like my first, first album. Yeah. And so some of those beats are like eight years old. Like, um, trying to think like Headlock City. I think that beats from like 2014. <laughs> and, um, Oh, Inauguration Day, that beats from like 2012, Damn. maybe like 2011. Yeah. And so all of these beats are just ones I've been like sitting on, like, this is going to be sick on my first album. This is going to be sick on my first album. And now I'm in a place where I don't have to like, you know, I'm producing at such a high volume because I, was, I just decided like, fuck it. Just got to start dropping shit. Yeah. Or else like, I'm never going to get anywhere. And so, yeah. I try to like bring people along with me on my musical journey so I can scratch every itch, but I can also make like a normal ass beat if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard. And it's fun sometimes. Would you say kind of, you know, obviously like you've, so you formed your own label, you know, Ego Death and kind of dropping like music at like a high velocity. Like what was the intention of like forming the label? And like, what would you say is your goals for the label in general? My goal is to expand Ego Def LLC into like a like a multimedia empire, mm-hmm. you know, um, not for the reasons where I need a lot of money or I need to be rich. Uh, well, I like to have a lot of money. I like mm-hmm. to be rich. Um, <laughs> but I was just talking with Tim about this, like the motivation behind it is to help people, you know, mm-hmm. like with. um like with all of my projects, I try to feature Birmingham talent to a new audience, you know, like uh, I'm working on a project with Tony Leon right now. Like I had uh, I had some some great features on Automatic Jazz. I had Be True, had my boy Mel, had Rich on there. He killed it. He killed it on that first track. Um, and so but even beyond that, like given people trying to build with more people like i'm also trying to bring other folks in the game like i dropped one day that like ambient project Mm -hmm. with my friend lore who like i'm trying to get her started as a producer 
um, I'm always chopping it up with Rich and like we're sharing production ideas. And so if I were to able to have the label where I wanted it, I would be able to expose more talent. And that's like my, my dream is to be able to get as much talent from Birmingham to a position where they could start generating wealth from what they enjoy doing versus like, you know, what we're forced to do under capitalism. Yeah. Would you say you would think kind of makes the Birmingham scene special? Because obviously, you know, like being in Birmingham, we're like right between two big music cities, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and, you, you know, kind of it's kind of a city right in the middle. And, you know, th- kind of a history of like bands coming here, like certain groups. Like, what do you think makes the scene so special? And like, what do you hope to kind of, I guess, spur a kind of renaissance in music in the city? Yeah. Um, I think that what makes Birmingham special is like, I think that our proximity to Atlanta mm-hmm. informs a lot of the music that comes out of Birmingham, mm-hmm. but there's just something to it that's a little bit different. Like, we have such a diverse range of artists in this city to where like, um, man, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. It's like, to me, it's just the level of talent that is like being overlooked. I think that's like what makes the scene so special because you got folks like Gap, like Dolo, like Ozu, like, um, I don't know, like Rich, like Lovemore, like Kenny Black. You got all these artists that like, if they were doing what they're doing on the scale that they're doing here mm-hmm. in like Atlanta, or like Nashville or like LA, they would be on the cover of magazines everywhere, right? They would be like getting a color set on YouTube. But because we're in Birmingham, it's like there's this, there's this just like, uh, <laughs> there's this like um, instinct for the outside world to kind of ignore it. And mm-hmm. it's not like anyone outside of Birmingham's fault. It's just that the music has been underexposed. And I think that with the right opportunities and the right people who like do their best to put the city on, then big things can happen. Like the last artist, quote unquote, to blow up, quote unquote, out of Birmingham, quote unquote, was why be in the mirror was the last artist to blow up, quote unquote out of Birmingham. Uh, that nigga went to fucking play Chalkville High School. And like, he has not put on any Birmingham artists, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and he just dropped an album called Vision Land. And it's like, bro, have you ever even been to Vision Land? Like, where, how long did you live in Clay Chalkville? Like, <laughs> nobody's seen you. Like, nobody knows you in the city. And that's, that's what's, that's what's, wild to me is that we have so many folks that if they did have the opportunity they would put on for Birmingham the way that some people put on for you know wherever they're from Mm -hmm. and I think that's how it's supposed to be you have to get involved in the scene you have to meet the people you have to you know you just can't be some some weirdo just can't be some weird not to call it YB in the mirror weirdo, but just like there's a lot of 
there's a lot of overlooked talent in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that motivates a lot of people. They know that with the rise of the internet, it, it can be less difficult to capture a broader audience than it used to be. Yeah. Who would you say are some future artists like in the scene that you'd want to collaborate with in the future? Oh, uh, yo, man. So, <laughs> uh, do you know Frazier? I don't think I do. Frazier posed the same question to me uh, via Instagram. And I, I, I responded with Youngblood, who I am working with, and I'm super excited about. Um, Hard Body Shard, who I'm going to send a beat pack at some point. Um, Swayze is supposed to be sending me a beat. Swayze, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to send me a beat. Don't make me start bugging you on Instagram again, bro. I got no shame. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the artists that I really want to work with is this artist called uh, Big Yevo, who's... Um, He's blowing up and well, he's actively blowing up. And that's actually, see, this is why, this is where I've been, this is where I was slightly wrong. Cause we got TLE Cinco, uh, Big Yevo who's blowing up. We got a bunch of um, artists that are coming up out of the trap scene in Birmingham and they're doing real, real cool shit. But Yevo has so, he's so clever. That's what mm-hmm. I love about him. His lyrics are so clever. He had this one line on, um, I can't remember if it, was, if it was on his album, Dumbass, or the one before that. It was the one before that, mm-hmm. where he said, I swing the stick out the trunk like an elephant. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Brilliant. You're like, that's, oh, how did I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's why mm-hmm. I, lo- I love, I love Big Yeva. So I sent him a beat pack a while back and I didn't get a response. So I distributed those beats to other artists I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to try and get another beat back to him soon. Um, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, Big Yevo would be the one that I'm most interested in, probably, that I haven't already formed some kind of connection with. Dope. Yeah, I think Yevo. I think the stuff I really enjoy about your stuff is that there's just such a love of collaboration and you know, such artists and producers kind of might lock themselves down to kind of just collaborate with like one person you know like i feel like a good example is like timbaland like it's it's like mm-hmm. man i hope i wish justin timberlake would do other producers on these albums but <laughs> <laughs> you're like bro no. is, is timbaland the only person you know who produces these beats <laughs> real real but you know I, what mm-hmm. one of the things one of the artists that kind of inspired well let me say this i lied earlier when i said that trent Reznor and kanye were my two biggest influence is trent Reznor. Kanye and um, Damon Albarn from Gorillaz. Oh, those yeah. Are those are my three guys. Um, and, well, hey, we don't have to talk about the underexposure of non-male talent in the industry here. Yeah. But I feel like I need to need to learn more about that's what I'm talking about with my friend. Like, I'm trying to bring more more ladies into the into the beats. And you got uh, you got Lissandra Renee with a uh, girls rock hip-hop or she has a she has a camp where she teaches young women how to make beats That's Sandra right. Renee, and um she makes super sick beats she made a project with uh she's in a project with my boy 
Sean Judah called Boom Bap Babies. And they got some nice stuff that they've been dropping. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So every Gorillaz album has a different co-producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dan Automator, uh-huh. like you know, mm-hmm. Mouse. Mm. Okay. I lied earlier when I said I have three. <laughs> <laughs> Dan the Automator is so good. Yeah. Him, Prince Paul, mm-hmm. with Handsome Boy Modeling School. You ever listen to Handsome Boy Modeling School? I haven't. Trip hop is my shit. Trip hop is my shit. So I massive attack like yeah mezzanine. Oh, yeah so mezzanine. I put mm-hmm. I put. That's my album mezzanine. <laughs> I uh like. I got me thinking about mezzanine. <laughs> they have a they have a um they have a song they dropped called well they had an EP they they dropped called Ritual Spirit. Back mm-hmm. in like 2015, 2016. And there's a song on there called Voodoo in My Blood with Young Fathers. And this this is a rap group out of England. And they're super sick. Um, but yeah, highly recommend listening to Voodoo in My Blood. Uh, but yeah, Dan the Automator. I think he just got bored making the best beats. Like, <laughs> no, no challenge in it for him anymore. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that's what I like. I like to shake things up, you know? Like, I dropped, uh, like, my homie CJ from Joy Boy reached out to me. We did the inauguration day, like, hardcore version that dropped in um, January. And I'm about to do a whole set with them at Sluice Fest, which is a hardcore festival up in Huntsville. Oh, dope. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I, like, I love that. I love just, like, shaking things up and getting some new ideas. Because... Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's so easy to be good at what you do for like two or three years and then just like vanish off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. But I feel like by constantly working with new people and getting new ideas under your belt and boosting new people up into the industry, it's kind of like, you know, that's how you can sustain a lifelong career in art as like a musician. Like, I mean, to go back to Gucci Mane, the entire city of Atlanta uh, <laughs> became famous. Yeah. After Gucci Mane, like the future, Zaytoven. Uh, Lil Baby, who to me is the biggest rapper in the world right now, he is a protege of Young Thug. So it's like a, a coaching tree, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just he blew the whole city up. And now he's like, he's not even like, I don't think he's even 40 years old. And he's just like become such a mythical figure and not to me, to me, like the fame is cool. Yeah. But like the ability to help people on that scale is like even better. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Dope. Well, man, I want to thank you for sitting down this interview. Uh, I mean, obviously not sitting down, but I want to thank you for this interview, (laughs) (laughs) but thanks for being a part of it. Like, uh, I think your stuff's super dope. Um, and I really can't wait for the other stuff you got coming forward in the future. I appreciate that, bro. Uh, yeah. Anytime. Hey, we should collab. We should collab. Yeah, I'm down. I'm. I released my my first. Like I've I was in a band and stuff. Like in, when I previously the previous day I lived them, but um I work with a bunch of people working on some. It's so funny you said, you said the quiet storm because I was like, man, that's literally with most of the new thing I'm working on sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my god. So yeah. So the, I can't that, wait to hear that. Yeah. So that first song comes out. Yeah. Uh, Next, not this Friday, but next Friday. 
Okay. And, it, and that's that's like a solo with you. Oh uh, like yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, so I decided to just kind of do a just just do a solo project. You know, um, I'll just do an EP. I'm just working on songs and kind of just going forward, working on some solo stuff. Yeah, that sounds sick, bro. I love. I just rambled for like ten minutes about how much I love Quiet Storm. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, dude, this should be. Dope. I can't wait to hear that. I saw oh. you did. I saw a video you posted on like your Facebook with like a band. This was like a couple months ago. Two, oh months ago. yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, yeah. So I was like, I was in a band, you know, for like like for like. About, at this point, it was about three years. Uh, when I used to live in Mississippi, and mm. we we you know uh. And we kind of we did we did the tiny desk concert um kind of submission uh and so yeah it was really cool um you know we made we made a lot of music and stuff but i kind of decided to kind of focus on kind of some of the music that like i liked to kind of what i really want to make you know i feel you i used to be in a band called nympho knife that's um, a dope name <laughs> yeah thank you we got an album up on Bandcamp, cardinal sins nympho knife dope. but i uh I love I love my my guys. I still I still talk to them all the time. We're probably mm-hmm. gonna make some new music down the road, but it's always good to have something that's just your vision, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the committee setting of a band is really cool, but sometimes you just gotta be alone. Yeah, you just gotta like you know have your your spirit of vision of what you want to do, you know. Right. I'm excited, mm-hmm. bro. I'm a, I'm gonna be on the lookout for that. Dope, man. Dope. Well, you have a good night, man. Hey, you too. Take Peace, man. Look who made it to the end of the episode. I want to thank Black Plastic for being on today's episode. I want to thank you guys for listening in. If you like his music and what you heard here, you'll find it on any streaming site you can think of. Additionally, my new single called What's Going Now is going to be coming up in September. It'll also be a new episode. This is the City in the Sound Music Podcast. I'm Josh. You guys have a great one.